Hi, I'm Lisa Mirable, and I'm a board member of the EAC Network, and this is our More To Do podcast. I'm here with Robert Strickoff, Chief Development Officer of the EAC Network. Thank you. Thanks. We also have a very special guest for you, and that's Crystal Stanton, and she's uh, the New York City Division Director of the EAC Network. How are you, Robert? I am well. Thank you for having us. Crystal, thank you for joining us. We have a really exciting program today. We have a lot to discuss. As the New York City Division Director, we have Crystal here, who will be speaking a little bit about herself, but more importantly, about all the so many things we do at EAC in New York City. So, Crystal, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. I am Crystal Stanton. I am the New York City Division Director of Behavioral Health and Criminal Justice Services with EAC Network. And what that means is that I oversee a lot of the programs that operate in the city, all aimed at helping people with behavioral health needs are involved in the criminal justice uh, system. So um, it's a big, it's, it's a big role. It's not easy to explain when you meet somebody new, um, but I'll tell you a little bit about myself and how I got here. Um, originally from Buffalo, New York, and I got my undergrad at Medi College and I really had a pre-law minor and a psychology major. And I couldn't decide what I wanted to do. So I decided that forensic psychology married the two fields perfectly. So I continued on to get my degree at John Jay. I moved from Buffalo to New York City in 2005. So I've been here for about 17 years. So but always a New Yorker. Buffalo still New York. Um, so when I got my master's, I decided that, you know, I really like working with people. And I had to do um, a very lengthy, very, very lengthy internship um, in order to complete my degree. So I started off as an intern at um, RTI International, which is, you know, a great institute. I worked there for five years. Um, but while working there, I decided I like to talk too much and have actual client engagement instead of crunch numbers all day. But part of my role at that uh, with RTI was that I would actually go into EAC offices throughout all the boroughs and collect data as a public health analyst. Um, I ended up working with them for five years and decided, yep, I talk too much and I like to move around. Uh, numbers aren't just only my thing. So I came to EAC as the coordinator of Queen's Task in 2012. I've been with the agency 10 years now. And I actually worked my way up from the coordinator to the director of Staten Island Task to the senior director of New York City task programs, grant programs, and fee-based programs. And right in the pandemic, about uh, June, actually June 1st, 2020, I became the, the division director of EAC Network. Um, it's a great organization. I've seen us help so many people along the way uh, that I'm really passionate about it. And I don't see how you cannot be being a New Yorker and somebody with compassion. Wow, that is some resume, Crystal. That is a mouthful. That is certainly a mouthful. And of course, uh, Crystal talked about her start at the EAC Network. And there are a lot of acronyms, right? TASK, uh, EAC, all those things. Um, ATI, you talked a little bit about ATI. Crystal, what does ATI mean? Uh, and how do you explain it to, to people who don't understand uh, the criminal justice system? Oh, absolutely. And in this field, all we do is speak in acronyms. It's kind of throwing the alphabet at you and then figuring it out. So ATI work is alternative to incarceration work. And it means exactly just that. Instead of putting somebody to jail, um, you have an alternative, right? You have the ability to change the behavior that maybe got you to jail. So it prevents you from going to jail in the future. It's actually working with clients involved in the criminal justice system, identifying their problems that lead them to that road and trying to adjust their, uh, give them the skills needed um, to lead a successful, productive life in society. Why is, I was going to say, you know, why, why is that important, right? You know, some people sit back and like, let's just, you know, we got to be tough on crime, right? We got to put these people to jail and blah, 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 right? Why is ATI important? 
ATI is extremely important and in, and you can look at it in various ways. If you want to look at it from the taxpayer perspective, keeping somebody in jail for a year costs an insane amount of money. Um, so you can look at it from that. If you want to look at it from a caring, compassion side, you want to help people. That's where more where I come from. I always want to help people to see the growth and the change is great. You are uh, living in New York City. Everybody's their neighbor, right? Yeah, there's probably like 50 people living in my apartment building right now. You want to live next to somebody who you can you can trust and be with and have a community with. You want to make sure that you know you're maximizing your skill sets. Not everybody, especially the underserved populations that we work with, um, have the opportunities to get you know skills, get careers, go to college. Um, you know, there's a lot of different life circumstances that happen out there for the underserved population that are often. Overused. And I think that that's really a, a key message, right? Everyone, like you said, we have to be tough on crime, but if they don't have the skill set or they weren't in a position to be educated, right. to, <laughs> you know, have that maybe mentor or person to guide them, that this is a great opportunity and to do this work. And of course, it costs the taxpayers so much less. It's something that people don't think about, I think, when they think of what you do every day and what EAC really does. And I would say uh, to, to add to that, um, being tough on crime doesn't mean jailing people, right? Being tough on crime means safe communities, means jobs, means keeping families together. And I know that that's something, Crystal, you've talked about before. ATI is about getting people back to work, getting them back to their families. And if you get them back to their families, that makes the community safer. Can you talk a little bit about um, you know that issue? Because you know, the new mayor, the, the previous mayor, people talk about ATI and like that's the new sort of buzzword, right? Um, um, and I know that EAC, your division, you uh, in particular, are partners with the, the court system and law enforcement. Can you talk a little bit about that partnership? Sure, absolutely. And Bob, it's really important that, yes, you know, careers and skills are very important to making the lives better of these individuals, but a lot of times it's also treatment. Um, so that's one thing that we cannot forget. And there's treatment for substance abuse, there's treatment for mental health and co-occurring disorders. And, you know, mental health is starting to come out now as being like, oh, we recognize mental health. We recognize it just as much as we do a toothache. But the stigma for mental health throughout time is, you know, as clear as day, um, depending on your culture, depending on your upbringing, acknowledging that you have some mental health problem in the past was, you know, something that we were swept, swept under the rug. Um, so we're moving to a time now where we can talk about that and it's accepted more. And I think that's very, very important. Um, our relationships with the key stakeholders with the court is the bread and butter of our success, so to speak. Uh, we worked with you know courts in all boroughs and district attorney's offices and lawyers. And having that trust when they refer a client to us that's in the criminal justice system, that we will provide them an individualized treatment plan and have clear, open, honest communication throughout every step of that process while working with a client is absolutely crucial. We didn't have the trust of our partners and show the, you know, the results that are actually positive and working, we would not be able to do everything that we do today. So we value our relationships the most we possibly can. I can't even say it enough. Well, you hit on something really important as well when talking about you've created these success metrics, right? So you've seen the program work. And I think the impact, again, we talk about this a lot, the impact that our programs have on our communities is not really noticed. Right. It, it goes kind of unseen. And for a lot of reasons, because these conversations aren't being had, mental health isn't being had. You know, it used to be faux pas to even admit that this existed, right? In a lot of cultures, it wasn't talked about. 
the acknowledgement that we're providing services that help and treat and create, like you said, right. those safer communities, I right. think is an important conversation to have. Yeah, 100%. I think the other part of this is, and I think Crystal you know, mentioned this, is that the, you know, it's removing barriers, right? It's mo- removing barriers to success, right? Getting the, the population that we serve, it's, it's really black, brown, and underserved people, right? We serve everyone, but that's primarily the people that, that this affects. Uh, removing barriers uh, for them, and I think, uh, and I want you to talk about this. We went to visit the uh, the Queens DA, went to visit the Brooklyn DA, and I think one of them said, "What good does it do the community if I throw someone in jail?" And they were like, "That does no good. What we need to do is get that person into treatment, as you said, Crystal, back to work and back into you know their their families and communities." And I think that's obviously a very important part, removing that barrier. Uh, for success. And I, I think that's vitally important to the work that you do. If you can talk a little bit about that, I know you did a little bit, talk a little more about removing those barriers that, that the people that you see uh, every day, you and your staff see every day, you know, what does that mean, removing barriers? Oh, there's a lots of barriers to be removed. It is like uh, the throughway is under construction. Um, so every person that we work with is different. They have different barriers. Um, so you never know, you know, when you see somebody, John Smith walking through the door, what he's bringing to the table. Um, it's opening him up, it's building rapport, it's an assessment that's pretty lengthy and covers all the bases. And then, you know, you kind of get to see where the problems are. You kind of say, oh, okay, you were successful in the community for 20 years, got into an accident, and then you got addicted to um, pain, pills, pain pills because they were referred to you by a doctor. And then when the prescription went up, now you don't get treat. You, you got your seeking, right? Some of the barriers could be that you don't have the education and the background to navigate the benefit system, right? You might not know how to seek out SNAP benefits for your hungry family. Um, there's a lot of things. Or the support. Or the support. You might not have the support to seek these uh, these treatments uh, options out, right? No, absolutely. You don't have the support and you don't know how. Um, it's, some, it's easy to say, I want to do something, but if you don't know how to get there, if you don't know what it is, it's kind of impossible. Um, and on that, I'd also like to hi- uh, like highlight our community referral networks that we work with. Uh, we were well-networked in every borough, and we always find the best treatment fit for each individual. So, you know, if it's could be residential treatment that offers a mother and child program, we know a place that we can refer you to. Um, if you just need a detox and a rehab and you want some place that's, you know, close to home or actually even far away from home often sometimes is the case, we have that for you. Um, you know, if you need certain trauma-informed services, there's programs that offer that. So we know we can refer you there. And just as important as our communication is with the courts and the DA's office and the legal aid and every, all parties involved, our communication with the treatment providers is just as important. We have an understanding that we have open communication and that we are there although every step along the way, kind of holding but not yeah. holding their hand. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's, um, you know, a firm choice. Everybody that we work with has an option to work with us or not. But, you know, when you look at the alternatives, like alternatives to incarceration, I would rather work towards getting my life back together with a little bit of a firm support and push behind me than going to jail and then wasting whatever amount of time you have with, you know, potentially your family, your loved ones in the community doing what you enjoy. Most people that go through the system, what would you say is the level of crime, right? Task is perfect for for what type of criminal? And, And give me a little bit of that criminal profile, because I also think that there um, is a misunderstanding or not an understanding at all of how this actually works. It's not, and you know, it's not, and you know what, task isn't acceptable for criminals. <laughs> We're acceptable for people. Yeah. So we don't try to, steg- you know, the stigma behind Perfect. using the word criminal 
is definitely something that is, you know, we're trying to overcome. It could be, we work from with everybody. It could be Betsy who came home drunk from happy hour and got DWI that has a nine to five job. It could be John who experienced so much trauma that his, you know, father went through, lived through the crack epidemic. His mother got shot and lived in the system going house to house. It could be, yes, anything. That's a scope. There's no, there's no charges, exclusionary charges. We do work with absolutely anybody if appropriate. We do, though, assess for risk of violence um, and things of that nature. We cannot have somebody who, you know, has a history of arson going into a residential treatment gotcha. community. You know, that, that we can't place them. It's not that we wouldn't work with them. We can't offer them the treatment they need with the sort of resources we have. But we work with absolutely anybody. Um, and, you know, we look at everything. Uh, so, you know, we, we don't really take money sex offenders. because Where can we place them in right, treatment? Right. So I would say that we, we work with everybody, you know, from petty larceny to people stealing soap, which is so sad. Soap and wow. things to hygiene products from Rite Aid because they can't afford them. Women stealing baby formula from the Costco. I mean, we work with literally everybody. And it's also, you know, it could be a random. I'm not on my medication. So I'm seeing things and hearing things. And. I'm seeing something that's not there and I push somebody on the street. I mean, there's all kinds of different situations and it's not, it's not easy. And it's to say in a nutshell, we work with felonies, we yeah. work with misdemeanors, we work with DWIs, we work with everything. Yeah. Crystal, that, that leads to the, obviously the next obvious question. How many people have you seen uh, uh, in 2021, you know, a round number? A round number in 2021 would be about close to 12,000 yeah. people wow. in the service. Wow. Um, and, and that's New York City programs. Um, that's a lot. That is a lot. And you know what's even what's even more? <laughs> um, years prior, we would serve upwards of about 20,000 clients a year. How many is that? 28,000? I would say upwards wow. of 20,000. 20,000. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. In the prior yeah. years, that pandemic uh, set us back a little bit with, you know, uh, the perfect storm of things that happened, including, you know, courts being virtual right. and not having their all purpose parts open like they used to. So um, a court part that was an all purpose part that would see upwards of 50 to 100 cases a day is now was now uh, we're, we're transitioning out was seeing, you know, 10 to 12 virtually scheduled cases. So there's a, there's a back, there's a backlog and there's a need and there's definitely a need. And it doesn't mean that with the pandemic, there's even more of a need. There's, a, there's people who are using substances now that weren't because of the pandemic. There's people who are treating their trauma now because of the pandemic, right. of loss of yeah. loved ones and yeah. loss of job yeah. and loss of, you know, everything that can affect strongly your mental health. That happens. Well, it certainly sounds like there's more to do uh, in the New York City division. There's always more to do. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, the opioid crisis, and I, and I know you have sort of an opioid, uh, not a task force, but sort of a response I, that might be just in Brooklyn. But can you talk a little bit about that, how that affects your work, and, and what that means for the people that you're seeing? Sure, sure. So as we all very much know, the opio opioid epidemic is very real, very very real. We have an opioid overdose prevention program. It's a little bit of a tongue twister, but it's a opioid overdose prevention program. O O P. Another acronym. Another, no. <laughs> Another acronym. Um, yeah, so uh, we have a great team. And um, even though located in our Brooklyn office, our opioid, opioid overdose prevention program services every, every borough. Um, we became really crafty during the pandemic because their main goal of this program is to get Narcan kits out into this community, right? For those the criminal justice involved population. 
Um, and Narcan kits, just so a little background, if there's any novice listeners, that's what you would give somebody who's overdosing um, on an opiate. Um, so when you see somebody and there's, you know, very likely telltale signs, but what we do is we actually educate the community about what a signs of overdose look like, what they are and how to respond to it. Um, a Narcan kit is something that can be, it's very small. It can be carried in your purse. It can be carried in a pocket very easily. And it's, um, comes with a, a nasal injection. So what we do uh, is we train um, our school, all of our staff first and foremost, all of our community providers and all the, the people that are really coming through our doors, anybody in the criminal justice uh, population. And we even do some outreach events too, to make sure everybody is appropriately trained on Narcan, how to use it, what the symptoms are and what you should do after it's administered um, to better curb and save lives. <laughs> I always joke with those staff and it's not even a joke. We save lives. So getting those kits out there is huge. Right now, too, paired with our opioid overdose prevention program is our fentanyl test strip project, which I'm very excited to say we will be carrying on. And we were piloting it um, with the Department of Mental Health, and they decided to extend our, our, our pilot program. So it is going to be a real thing. And as we know, fentanyl is what's creeping up in our opioids, our press pills, in our cocaine, in our party drugs. That is very strong, very, very strong. So if somebody is used to doing a normal or what would be a normal size amount of whatever drug or substance they're using, if fentanyl is in there, it, it can kill you. It kills you. It can yeah. kill you. And we are doing everything we can to combat that. Um, the fentanyl test strips is pretty unique because I will say that, you know, EAC does not promote using drugs, but we do promote saving lives. So you have to say, what's more right. important? Is it, you know, saying, yes, we recognize that this is happening and we are going to help you or saying no and not offering. No, we're going to hear and we're going to offer you help. We are going to teach everybody how to use that. And that comes into the doors along with our Narcan kits. We paired the fentanyl testing strips um, with our Narcan kits to save in one bag. So for every Narcan kit that we give out, there's five fentanyl testing strips in there. Um, the testing strips, um, you know, again, we educate you on how to use those. It's, um, you know, there's a little process involved in that, but it comes with in instructional information. And of course, you are, you are getting the live demonstration. By live demonstration, we were able to, one of the positives of the pandemic was uh, this virtual platform. Um, we are making sure that um, you can, if you don't have to come to our office to get an Arcan kit, um, our, our staff has virtual trainings. And we'll do the virtual training with you in a Zoom room with, you know, 10 other people. You don't have to leave your screen on or however it might be to connect with, you know, anonymity or we do it very individual too. Um, and we will yeah. mail you the kit. You don't have to come in. We will mail to you so you have it just so you can be safe in your community. Um, one of our programs, the Brooklyn Clear program, which is funded by the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office, is a peer-run program that actually goes to meet individual um, at the precinct before time of arraignments, right? So in that time, while we're trying to divert and find out that person's needs, we are also Narcan training them. So now that person has a warm handoff to somebody that was working um, with EAC who went and go met them there as a peer, someone of lived experience, someone who can relate to the person that's getting arrested. Um, find out and identify their needs and then give them a Narcan kit along with the fentanyl testing strips. Um, with uh, the Brooklyn Clear program, we also part of the Brownsville Safety Alliance where we set up a table and that community is very heavily hit by the opioid overdose um, and, uh, epidemic as well as uh, it's a you know very criminal justice involved community. There's a lot yeah. of arrests. It's not the safest of communities, but we're trying to make it better, sure. right? We're trying to do everything to educate and promote and stop the, those you know situations. 
Um, in addition, you know, Stan Island is probably one of the boroughs that is most heavily hit, and we work very closely with the district attorney's office in Stan Island to do everything that we can. Um, all their graduates from Stan Island Task and Task Mental Health are making are Narcan trained. You do your cases and completed in court in, until you we can say that hey, you you completed your Narcan. Yeah, training. I'll tell you, uh, Lisa. As- this is why Crystal's on as our guest. Uh, she obviously knows her work uh, inside and out uh, and is so genuine about this work. And it's a lot, right? I mean, it's a lot. It, it, I was it, just going to ask how many programs are there underneath the New York division? I think there's last I counted 37, 37 <laughs> programs. Now and there's only, and there's only one crystal. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's more to do, Crystal. There, there's more to do. And uh, Crystal, you mentioned, Crystal, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the Queens DA, you mentioned the Brooklyn DA, the Staten Island DA, and and those are all partners of our, of ours, and of course the the court uh, systems. You mentioned some of the community partners, and that that's a wonderful thing, uh, as well. And uh, and that all falls on you and your staff, and and so much, very much appreciated. And and Lisa, you can imagine what what goes on in in Crystal's life every day professionally. She said something, and to the listeners, uh, Crystal said a lot of things right and obviously she's a professional and she knows this inside and out but one thing she said that we should not uh you know just gloss over she said we save lives and crystal i mean i can't thank you enough on behalf of the board and on behalf of all the eac supporters you know your your programs are saving lives so thank you for that um that that's very important uh if you can talk about two more things um we haven't talked about children Right, and and I know that uh, adolescents are, are part of uh, this program, and veterans. I think there's a growing veterans uh, misdemeanor court. Uh, if you can talk about those two things uh, a little bit, things, uh, a little bit. Sure. I mean, and I hope you can hopefully you can edit this well. And I know I talk too quick too, nope. especially at the end of the day when my second coffee. Kicks <laughs> <in>. <laughs> right around three, four o'clock. <laughs> Listen, there's no one that needs coffee more than you, so pl- keep it up. Drink more coffee. <laughs> so I did just want to go back and and do a quick recap because this is what I heard. Because you do speak so fast, and I think it's important for us to come back and do uh, just a quick recap. Yeah. You said you save lives. I I did hear that you put people back to work. You provide treatment. You work with the court systems to try and keep them out of the court systems, but you also educate them on the court system and what resources are available to them. Is that correct? Am I missing any? Am I missing anything out of out of that? Um, yeah, no, but we just don't actually provide a direct service, right? So, like, we're not providing them with the the therapies, the treatments that you know they would get from. Like say an Oasis licensed clinic. We are a linkage providers to community resources. Gotcha. So we we just we find out what the treatment plan is. So we we do that's part of the case management piece. We find out what the treatment plan is, and then we utilize our wide net of community providers to make sure that that person's treatment needs are being met in the community. Um, really, in trying to eliminate any barriers such as travel. Um, you know, metro cars, things of that to make sure that they can successfully engage. You're placing them, monitoring them, and then reporting back to the courts. And you, I think you also said this, Lisa, and this is a good catch, is that the court system trusts EAC. And I think that's vitally important. And that when we say that we're partners with the court system, we're not just saying it. It's actually right. true. She's secured a place in heaven, I think. Uh, 100%. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Crystal, uh, you've heard this before. Uh, Nila Lockle, our president and CEO, uh, she's been here a year and uh, t- a little less than two months. Uh, she said, uh, our staff are angels walking amongst us. And I believe that to be true. And, and for the listeners listening today, you know 
that Crystal Stanton is an angel walking amongst us. So thank you for your work. Thank you, Keep Crystal. It up. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Can you talk just a little bit about the Veterans Court? Uh, I know uh, th we have a full-time staffer. Uh, what's his name? Yeah, I was going to get there because this yeah. is also a world watch because the so when I'm talking about our collaboration with the courts, all of our veteran, all the work that we do with the vets, we have two um, veteran court projects with the courts. So we have Brooklyn Misdemeanor Veterans Treatment Court that we are collaborating with the service veterans and we have Queens Misdemeanor Veterans Treatment Court that we collaborate. That's SAMHSA funded that we work together with. And that's our partnership that's with great. the courts. That's that makes sense. So, um, yes. So let's talk a little bit more about our core collaboration. So um, EAC currently has about, uh, I would say, seven SAMHSA-funded projects. And SAMHSA is the Substance Abuse Mental Health Service Administration. So we literally are um, collaborating with the court system in the treatment courts. And by treatment courts is such a, uh, maybe it's not clear. Yeah, I would never heard of that. What it, What is that? Okay, so in treatment courts is like a nutshell nutshell word for a problem solving court but it goes so much deeper than that and we actually have so many passionate judges out there right now that are you know finding their problem solving courts to uh, focus on certain groups of individuals for example in queens we have our queens misdemeanor veterans treatment court and we have a collaboration with them on a samsa grant and we do the same thing in brooklyn with our brooklyn um, veterans misdemeanor treatment court we have, um, and the problem solving courts are very individualized. Queens has a lot of great problem solving courts like human traffic intervention court, which is a, another problem solving court. Um, and we work with um, like Queens treatment court is one of them. We have a mental health specific uh, felony and misdemeanor treatment court. We have the veterans court for felonies as well in Queens. We have DWI court. These are all problem solving courts and they always fall under a treatment court model. So when you say treatment court, treatment court in itself is an evidence-based practice that has elicits certain steps to get somebody through treatment. So we work collaboratively with the courts and the court staff that also work with these problem-solving courts to make sure that the clients are best served and that you are in the right court where you should be. Of course, a veteran's gonna you know, open up more and feel more comfortable talking to a veteran. And I think it's also very, very, very important to note that all the courts that we work with and the treatment on um, the problem solving courts, they're trauma informed. And I think that that's something that we didn't talk enough about today is the trauma is so real. If everybody that comes through had comes with some kind of trauma and how you carry that trauma, unpack your trauma and how it affects your life is very meaningful to the engagement of your treatment and success and getting to the place where you want to be. So, you know, sometimes when you see clients in the waiting room and you're just like, Hi, how was your day? Sometimes that is the nicest thing somebody has said to this person all day. They just went through the criminal justice system. Do this, move here, jump, jump how high. And you just ask them how your day is. That's very, very impactful as somebody who's just been being pushed around doing what they've been told to do. It's you know a very individualized approach to make sure that they, we treat these people with kindness and compassion and are aware that they may bring a lot of trauma to the table. You know, Crystal, uh, one of the things that, that we talk about when we uh, talk to state officials who are voting on you know grants for us talk to foundations that are looking to support uh, our work and individuals right we say what is the impact of of our work um, we have wonderful programs we have wonderful staff we have uh, all of these great things but from your point of view you know what's the impact of your work and can you tell one story one success story without using names um, and, and that that can that will illustrate that impact there's no measure of the impact of the work that we do because we will never actually fully see how much we have changed somebody's life and 
we see the snippets of it, which I will say makes this job the most rewarding thing in the entire world. When somebody, we work with somebody, we're oftentimes meeting them at probably one of the lowest times of their life, one of the hardest times of their lives. And to see them from where they are in the beginning is kind of like a butterfly. It's a, you see the change, you see how far they've came while they're working with us at the program. Um, there's success stories. There's so many. Um, there's funny ones. There's like ones that could make you cry. Um, and I'll give you a little sample of how, how all of this, you know, how it all works out. You know, I mean, we've worked with uh, the ones that always get me the most. They're like my tear jerkers are when you get the, the, the pregnant women, right, who are addicted to substances, um, you know, facing jail time. And then you come in and then we are able to service them and get them off of whatever they're addicted to get them the proper supports, getting into mothering classes, all while fixing themselves while being pregnant and then coming out and, you know, going through a whole different lifestyle than they were used to, right? Now they can be the mother they want to be. Now they can actually have custody of their child instead of giving it up to the aunts or the grandmother. Um, so that's super rewarding because, I mean, just the transformation that you see. Um, and I will be honest with you, some of these clients, when we meet them, they, they don't want to be there. <laughs> They're not saying, hey, Crystal, thank you for having me. They're angry <laughs> and they should be because the system is so unjust in, in certain circumstances that that's why you have to show compassion and that's why you have to be nice and you have to also be firm, but you also have to be there and understand that I wouldn't be happy if somebody came at me when I was in this situation either. Um, we've had, you know, people who got amazing jobs and careers um, through, you know, our enhanced employment initiative program, who got, you know, hard skill sets trainings, who's gotten different, you know, skills and they were able to use to obtain employment and, you know, with the support of our, um, our EEI team, you know, they have to come in and they show pay stubs. They come in and say, hey, yes, I am working. This is what I'm doing. Oh, I started off as, you know, um, maintenance and now I am head chef you know I mean there's all kinds of uh, uh, things like that the funny story though I will highlight is this was um, a client that um, let's see I, don't, I won't give away the location but came um, came actually wrote a letter a physical letter to their case manager at the time it was 10 years later saying thank you to the case manager for helping change my life because I bought a $10 scratch off ticket and won $50,000 and was able to put a down payment on a house now, when you read that, she's like, I'm not thanking you because <laughs> I won the lottery. I'm thanking you because I had $10 that I would have put to drugs that I put in this lottery ticket. So oh. those are the situations. That's one of the, some of the unique situations that you find. Um, you know, you guys seen clients that are just so happy that, you know, they about living situation. Housing is a never ending issue for New York City, and it will continue to be for the foreseeable future. There is not enough affordable housing. Um, but when you get somebody who's, you know, on the HRA 2010 e-list trying to find housing and they've been on this list for a year and a half and now all of a sudden, you know, they're finally got an apartment. That's huge. And I've had clients that finally got an apartment and yeah. all they wanted was a dog. Like that companionship and that ability to now have your own place where you can have a dog. I mean, and those are just, you know, these are just regular everyday samples. I mean, there's definitely life-changing stories. And, you know, we get client testimonials all the time and, you know, it just shows that what we do works, right? It's not going to work for hundred percent of the people. It never does, but you know what, for the majority of people, we are doing something and we are showing an impact and we are changing lives. And if it's not even just to, you know, the person we're working with, it's also to their families. It's also that they come, they come through our program. They get so connected and um, engaged in their services that they need they become better families, they become better fathers, they become better neighbors, 
Um, and, you know, I also love working with these people because these people are the people in New York that see what we do and they will support us and see others. And there are, you help one help another. That's kind of a situation. Crystal, one of the things that uh, is uh, something that's interwoven into our lives here at EAC is dealing with elected officials, you know, public officials, whether it's DA's offices, the mayors, the city council members. Um, what would what would you say you had 30 seconds uh, to talk to, uh, whether it's the mayor or New York City politicians? What are you saying to New York City politicians about your work and EAC? What I would say to New York City politicians is we need your help. You've seen what we do is working and we there are so many more people out there, out there that we can help. The more you know, money we have, the more funds we have coming in, that will allow us to help more people. And helping more people saves more lives. It helps everybody. It helps you know reduce taxpayer money. It helps prevent recidivism. We just can do more. And if we have money to fund the staff, we have space to put the staff, we can do more. We want to do more. And we have enough thoughts and visions to be able to do more. So please help. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you can't say it any clearer than that. You cannot. What is the next, I, I know we, we've kept on a long time and, and I'm sure the listeners are getting so much out of this, but what is the, <clears throat> excuse me, what does the next six to 18 months look like, uh, you know, for ATI, for New York City and for EAC Network? Um, in the next six to 18 months, I would like to see us continue to grow. I would like to, uh, to see us getting the funding we requested. I would like to see program expansion, program enhancements. I would like to see us grow to service all of New York City, um, every person. I'm not saying, because we are in every borough, but there are so many people in underserved populations and communities that still need our help. Um, I would like to help everybody who's coming through the criminal justice system. I would like to avoid them being incarcerated. I would like to help them get the, the tools they need in their tool belt to be successful in life. I would like to see a happier time. Uh, we've experienced so much tragedy in New York City just in the past couple of years in itself that it's very sad. Uh, I would like to see the mental, I would like to see growth and acceptance of mental health stigma, um, substance abuse stigma. I would like to have a better, better hand-holding friendship and relationship with every, all of our key community partners. I'd like to continue to see our relationships grow. I would like to I would like to make the world a better place, but, you know, well, don't we all? But I think that we at EAC are, you know, on a, on a paving the right path to make the world a better place. I know, Lisa, that's a, that's a lot. That is that's that a is lot. A lot. And all valuable information, but I don't know if you it's, had anything to fin to close. I mean, I don't know what I could possibly add to what Crystal <laughs> just said, but you, you know, it's really important, right, the work that Crystal does. It's important that we keep EAC Network moving forward creating those partnerships with the DA's office, with the different council at hand, yep. um, educating the people that are out there, giving them the resources, like you said, and the tools to m move their life forward and make the world a better place. These are just <laughs> like, simple, I think simple goals, right? That's yeah, easy. simple goals. But what Neela says <laughs> is we call it Monday, yeah. right? It's not, <laughs> it's not every day. It's Monday for us. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's just, uh, what you do is so important to our community. And like you said, Robert, thank you so much, Crystal, for being a part of this and for helping EAC do the great work that they do. So the one thing I do want to add about the close is, and I don't want to be a salesperson, yeah, no. but you know, EAC always has more to do. And the one thing that we are doing in our department 
is to put out a social media campaign because every dollar does make a difference. So we're asking for small contributions from everyone. So if you can spread the word, look out for us on Facebook. We have a 2022 campaign, which is all about giving $20.22, which we feel can be very affordable for a lot of people. So please help us reflect on the work that EAC does. Tag two people that you think could be impacted by our work or that you feel it's important for them to know about EAC. Tag them. Let's grow this. Let's do more together. Let's make everyone aware of the great work that we do. So help us with our 2022 campaign. It's just $20.22. And I'm sure that a lot of us can afford that. So please help us spread the word. Yeah, I would add uh, text 2022 to 53555. 53555. That's EAC 2020 to 53555. And that's your text to donate. We make it so easy. So please give and help spread the word and help us do more.